The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, 3-0. Gotta be feeling pretty good about that. Uh, it's a whole lot better than 0-3, and yeah, as crazy as it's been, it's still pretty darn cool, and it has serious playoff implications, because if you get to 3-0, and 75% of the time you make the playoffs in the NFL, so those are pretty good numbers. Now, I know all of the national publications um, are now coming up with like real 3-0 and teams and what the Bears really are. And so this team is apparently really like a 1-2 and team or an 0-3 team, depending on who you're, who you're listening to. So I, I don't know if that counts for, um, you know, postseason uh, awards or anything like that. But I think the 3-0 thing is real. I mean, 2020 has been really odd, but I think the Bears are actually 3-0 and in reality. So I'm going to stick with that. It's what it says in print. And, you know, I can't really blast the pundits for that because – Last year, I did the same thing with the Packers. I think we did the same thing yeah, with the Packers. Sure. They're not a five and O team. They're not, you know, uh, they're not a thirteen win team. Well, sure enough, on paper they were, and you can say what you want about how they got there, but you could say the exact same thing about how the Bears got there. But the bottom line is, black and white, in print, three and O after three weeks. It's a pretty good start, and I don't think one we would have necessarily predicted. Well, certainly not the way that they got there. The fact that they're 3-0, and <laughs> not that surprising to me, given the competition, but the way that they got there, pretty interesting. Uh, it was a big comeback win, and so I have a comeback cocktail, but I want to wait on that. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce your beer first, and I am going to talk about the comeback cocktail next. Well, uh, with 3-0, and I'm feeling a little bit lucky, Okay, and so I wanted a beer that I felt lucky to have. Uh, my wife was kind enough to bring back from her uh, trip to see her folks a New England Imperial Stout called Steganos or Steganos. I'm not sure which. Um, from Booth Bay Harbor Brewing and Booth Bay Craft Brewery, officially. And the reason I'm feeling lucky to get it is it is a seasonal release for them. Uh, typically uh fall and winter but uh this one was left over so it is aged in the can and it's pretty solid this is a 16 ounce can and it is 12 percent by volume so oh. i'll be drinking i will be drinking slowly for the podcast but i wanted to get this one in because uh again i feel lucky to get it and i feel lucky that the bears are three and oh so i think it matches up but i am intrigued what is your victory cocktail well, i just i, I just want to say i can't believe your wife rented a u-haul and packed it full of beer to drive it <laughs> all the way cross country because she must have done that with all the beers that you've already brought on. It's uh, pretty amazing. I, uh, again, I really like this idea of comeback cocktail. I don't want to keep doing it. I would like to, the Bears <laughs> to play from positive game scripts and play out in front and not have to do this. But a little bit of a troll uh, drink here tonight uh, to the poor Atlanta Falcons. So I brought on Peach bourbon sweet tea oh and not only that ej but since we uh are we can see each other i brought it in a mason jar 
I so saw really, that you're rocking the you're rocking the jar, and so, I was like, "Wow, Southern cocktail in a jar." Okay, to, then to really celebrate this win in Atlanta, and so uh, basically what I did was I just I made some black tea, and then I made it sweet tea by sweetening it, and then the recipe said one shot of peach schnapps and one shot of bourbon. That's not really good enough for me. So I did two shots of bourbon in this. So, um, yeah, it's maybe not 12% like what you're rocking, but it's it's up there. <laughs> yeah, I'd say two shots of bourbon. Did you add the peach schnapps as well, or did you, like, substitute bourbon for schnapps? No, it's in there. I gotta have a. I mean, again, it's Georgia. <laughs> it's in there, yeah. yeah. We got we to gotta give those from the peach state a little bit of trouble uh, because they are... Uh, Historic, what they've done over the last two weeks is basically impossible. Mm. They Their chances of losing uh, were less than 1% for both weeks, and yet they lost both games. That uh, either has never been done before or hasn't been done in like 60 years or something. I forget the actual stat, but it's gross. Probably certainly not back-to-back weeks. I have a friend who is a Falcons fan. He is an Atlanta resident. And I told him, you're welcome. We have helped you uh, clean house. This is certainly pushing Dan Quinn out the door, and they can uh, hire a new coach in the offseason. Maybe they'll get lucky and they'll hire Eric Bieniemy or someone like that who can turn around that franchise. And so uh, I think that the Man, Falcons... can you imagine that? Eric Bieniemy with Julio... I- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, yeah. I'm pretty excited about that idea, right? Yeah, that would be really cool because he keeps his foot on the gas. That was a fun game on Monday night, but I'm just thinking about all that offensive talent in Atlanta going, oh, man, yeah, that that would be fun for him. So, all right, so let's get into it. So the Bears come back again. They beat the Falcons 30-26, to uh, third straight win. Defense stands tall at the end of the game and able to force a pick couple things that I want to talk about, obviously some big things. So let's start with big Nick energy, Nick Foles. He replaces Mitchell Trubisky after Trubisky played pretty, uh, I, I mean, I, I think the stats were somewhat average Trubisky, but there was a lot of missed plays in there, especially when you go back and take a look at the All-22. He just was not taking advantage of what is really an atrocious Falcon secondary. I think the final straw came, obviously the final straw came after that horrendous interception. It was a misread, should have hit Robinson for an easy first down. He was he was coming open. Uh, instead, he threw it right to a zone defender who was sitting in a very obvious place for, for what zone that they were running. And Graham was going to, he was slowing down to settle down into that hole, which is what he was supposed to do on that route. And instead, Trubisky just threw it right at him. And so in many ways, that's really an encapsulation of, you know, Mitchell, the Mitchell Trubisky experience. And so let, I just want to start here. So what was going through your mind when Trubisky threw that pick? And then how surprised were you, like scale one to ten, how surprised were you when Foles walked into the huddle with that visor on and that next series? And it was pretty interesting. Uh, we'd started out watching the game with a bunch of guys from Windy City and – there was a lot of bitching. Uh, there was a lot of, ah, uh, here we go again. There was a lot of sort of typical knee-jerk reaction because we really did expect the Bears to be able to take advantage of the secondary, and it just hadn't to that point. They were letting them hang around. Uh, again, like you said, leaving a lot of plays on the field. Threw a pick, which is not um, odd necessarily for Trubisky. It was definitely not a good pick. Uh, there are good picks and bad picks, sure. you know, tip balls and whatever else. This was just a, what are you doing? So there was a little resignation that this was starting to slip away and we were going to have to watch it and we were going to have to deal with all the, the Falcons, you know, preening that they beat a two and O team. And everybody was kind of doing something else. And, I think I was the first one to notice, and I was like, guys. And everybody's like, what? And I was like, look. And they were like, look at what? Holy. <laughs> and I was like, and somebody was like, is that Foles? And I was like, uh-huh. And I tweeted it out pretty much immediately, and I was like, and Nick Foles has entered the game for the Bears, dot, 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 and just left it there. And we all just kind of sat back and went, 
well, this is going to be interesting. And boy, was it. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I've talked about with a couple different people. I'm sure we've talked about it. I talked about it with Robert on his podcast. And if and when Nagy was going to make that move, I think we kind of all thought that this was probably going to happen. But when you make that move, you get to play that card once. Like, when you make that move, Foles is a starter. So this talk after the game of like, well, you know, we're going to talk about it as an offensive staff. No, no, no. That decision was made that Foles was going to be the guy. Regardless of the outcome, the outcome was amazing. So Foles comes in, takes over, and he basically leads five touchdown drives. I understand that it was three touchdown drives, but one throw to Robinson was overturned in the end zone. That shouldn't have been overturned. That was a touchdown. I get it that it's a little bit of a weird play, but that that was the wrong call to overturn that. There wasn't enough evidence to do that, and that was completed catch in the end zone. There was another call that was overturned on a throw to Miller that he probably should have caught, but it was the right call to overturn that one. Um, But again, those are two touchdown throws that were taken off the board, and then he had another three on top of that that actually counted. So just let's just stop here. How impressed were you with Nick Foles coming in off the bench cold and being able to just slice and dice in the second half? It was very interesting to watch for a lot of reasons. When a guy comes in cold, not a ton of starters reps. We all know that offseason in camp was a little bit different this year. Uh, Nick Foles, a lot of of people said the reason he was brought in was familiarity with the offense. He was going to be able to get up to speed quickly. Ends up, you know, quote-unquote, losing the quarterback competition. Certainly not blowing anybody away, um, earning the starter's position outright. I think we can have some question about what what went on there, really, after this particular move. But here comes a guy cold off a bench uh, against a team that the Bears weren't playing very well against who has to sort of get up to speed liquid quick if he's going to do anything in the game. And I think we were all a little bit stunned by the fact that some of those plays went his way or didn't go his way. It looked a little rougher uh, on the TV broadcast, but you kind of got... You certainly got lost in the excitement later on as he started to rack up yards and results and the Bears started to be in it again. That's really what I was concentrating on. But I thought, oh, he threw that one ball that uh, went to Jimmy Graham that went right through Isaiah <laughs> Oliver's hands. <Yeah. laughs> and I thought, oh, he got away with one. Like, he's aggressive, but to a fault, like, that should have been a pick. Um So I kind of got caught up in that. So I actually went back right before we started tonight and watched just the game from Nick Foles' entrance. And I was, I'll just say it, I was stunned. Seven of his incompletions hit the receiver in the hands. Mm. Like, in the hands. There was two to Mooney, there was one to Robinson, there was one to Graham. Like, if you go back, his numbers weren't all that great. You know, 16 of 29. And like you said, the result was pretty darn good. Three touchdowns and another two-ish that he left on the ground that's amazing in a quarter and a half of work but if you go back and add up six or seven of those intercept or those incompletions and you call them you know completions you're looking at like 23 of 29 for well over 200 yards and probably four-ish scores even if Miller drops the one he's got that's ridiculous for a guy coming off the bench cold who hasn't been taking number one reps in a hostile environment, that's nuts. Absolutely. I, and I think that the two of us are on the same page in terms of the, the limitations of Trubisky really kind of tied, you know, Nagy's hands behind his back. He wasn't really comfortable in calling the full uh, uh, complement of plays. He, he certainly pared down the offense to try to take advantage of what Trubisky was able to do. And so, I wonder if you agree with me that this will now allow Matt Nagy to fully express his offense. I think that's the case for sure. And I think if you listened carefully, sort of listened between the lines of all the press that came out after the Falcons game, a lot of it from the Bears coaches and inside the locker room itself, there was a lot of shade being thrown uh in that direction, right. in in the direction of this offense hasn't been functioning properly, not because it's not a properly functioning offense, but because things haven't been done. One was wide receivers coach Mike Furry coming back and saying, well, you know, those are back shoulder throws. We haven't seen those in a couple of years, so we weren't really ready for them. Oof. 
That's <laughs> that's that was a heavy shot. I was like, okay. And then there was another piece that came out that was talking about one of the adjustments Foles made at the line where he tucked the tight end in pre-snap adjustment, tucks the tight end in right on the end of the line, brings the receiver who he knows he's going to on a corner in as far as he can, which is just inside right about the numbers because he knows he's going corner out and he needs the extra two or three yards on the boundary. He saw straight leverage on the cornerback. He knew where he was going to go with the ball. And he's like, come here, come here, come here. You know, give me three yards. Give me an extra two steps towards the boundary so I don't throw this out of bounds. That's the kind of stuff we weren't seeing from Mitchell Trubisky. So the, and the fact that on the winning touchdown, he told Miller, look, if the play breaks down, go to the L. I'm throwing it to the L. And he gets smeared on that play. I'm really surprised the ball came out at all because he got hit hard enough his follow-through didn't, didn't go past follow straight up and down, no. right? Yeah. He lets that ball go at kind of what we would call the top of the arc and is getting hit and falling away, and he threw it to the L, and Miller ran to the L, and he caught it. So having that kind of rapport, having that kind of confidence to throw to a spot well before the guy's there, not the kind of thing we're used to seeing. So I do think you're going to see this open up, and the accuracy that we just talked about, right? The fact that even when he was not completing passes, he was right there. He was within inches. And we're going to see those completed. And the other thing that really impressed me on the rewatch was he missed, you know, seven of those throws, right? Or, or he didn't complete seven of those throws. He came right back on the next throw, threw to the same guy, threw into tough coverage, push the ball down the field. In fact, most of the times when he had a guy short and a guy long, he went to the guy long. Mm, right. His, he knew he his, had to. His predisposition is to push the ball. And we saw, Touchdown like I to said. Touchdown to check down, right? That's, that's the mentality. Yep, that's right. Deeper to shorter, not shorter to out of bounds. I think uh, so, the throw to Ginn that's tough. was a good example of him oh, throwing was to a, a spot. Beautiful, beautiful throw. throw. That came out before Ginn made his break, right? So, again, these are guys that he hasn't had that much time with, but he was yeah. able to just throw to a spot. We don't see that very often or ever, really, with, with Trubisky, and so that's exciting because those anticipation throws would be there. And then, like you're saying, he's throwing touchdown to, to check down, meaning that he's going to go for the big ball, and he is willing to try to throw wide receivers open. They might be covered, look like they're covered, but he's going to go with the back shoulder throw, or he, he's going to – anticipate that his guy can go up and get it and win and you know it's kind of a yolo lifestyle but at the same time when you've got playmakers let's do it and you've got this offense that's going let's do it and it's completely contagious i asked people after the game what did you see when Foles came in not from Foles, but from the rest of the team and i don't just mean the offense oh the right? defense absolutely that w- it was energizing. It was a spark. The defense started hitting people. The middle run defense stiffened up. You know, they were smacking guys when they got the ball. The playmakers were going for it because, again, it's a contagious mentality. No, no, he's going to throw it. Yeah, I'm half covered, but he's he's going, go get it, man. And Allen Robinson's got to be licking his chops at that because Allen Robinson's a big physical wide receiver that doesn't mind going up over a guy and picking it off the top. And he didn't get a lot of chances to do that. And it, look, he's a great route runner too. It's not just that he's a physical boundary receiver, but he can play that game too. And he's excited that Nick Foles is going to give him the chance. Yeah, I, I guess it's probably time to mention that I interviewed him earlier this week. And please, if you have not listened to that interview, you should stop right now and go listen to that interview uh, because, you know, it was really cool to be able to talk to A Rob, especially how much we talk about. Alan Robinson on this podcast and so it was incredibly cool to get a chance to talk to him I only had a few minutes and one of the and I didn't want to get into like the well you know tell me about your feelings about Trubisky you know you know what the the beat writer is going to talk about that but one of the things I did ask him was what's the most important piece of route running and he's he talked about the release and basically how he's worked on that since since coming into the league to be the best wide receiver he can be because if you win at the line, then you can get into your route and you can win your route. And there were times where the split second after the snap, he had won his route. 
he was able to win his route with uh, a head fake inside, got got the corner to commit, and then he uh, goes the other way, and the corner spinning around trying to, c- to catch up with him. He is a master craftsman out there running routes, and I think that a guy like Foles, who's going to be able to put accurate passes on him to allow him to uh, have more yards after catch, which is not something that he has been able to do um, over the last year and a half for sure um and and someone who is going to say okay you're my guy i'm going to put this in a position where you can go and get it go get it and so i think there's going to be more plays that lead to yards after catch and i think there's going to be more big shot plays where alan robinson's going to have a chance to come down with some hero balls and so you know all the better for alan robinson and oh by the way ryan pace um, this move might have cost you a lot of money because, because Allen Robinson's going to blow the doors off the rest of 2020. The funny thing is he was already doing it, and we just need to say that. We talk a lot about Allen Robinson, and there's a good reason. Allen Robinson is the best offensive player on the Bears, and if there's no Allen Robinson on Sunday, this victory is not even within reach. Allen Robinson's game goes kind of... I would say underreported because of the full storyline and, and losing Tariq Cohen and, and all the drama, right? Allen Robinson with split quarterbacking put up 10 for 123, 12.3 yard average, and a touchdown on the ball he gets loose on and goes down the sideline and scores and actually makes that look fairly pedestrian. Trust me, folks, not a pedestrian play. <laughs> right. 10 for a buck 23, 12 yard average, and a touchdown is not a game that a lot of wide receivers have, and Allen Robinson has that game all the time. Right. Yeah, nobody else is even close on offense. If you look at the yardage totals, like he powered the Bears to the win in both halves, the the Trubisky half and the Foles half, right? He had big plays in both, and without his contributions, the Bears aren't even close. So I, I have to ask this question. Now that this move has been made, does this recalibrate your expectations for 2020? <laughs> That's a really good question. Mike, <laughs> the calibration has fluctuated greatly throughout the season from is there going to be a season sure. to there is, but there's not going to be an off season. And, oh, who's going to who's gonna play quarterback? Oh, it's going to be Nick Foles. No, it's not. It's going to be Mitch Trubisky. Uh, oh, they won two games. Cool. Oh, they're losing a game they should win. Oh, here comes Wolf. Like, it's a complete roller coaster. So I don't know that I had a lot of expectations. It helps keep me sane as a Bears fan to not, you know, be saying, come on, guys, I penciled you for 10 wins and you don't have enough yet. Do I think the offense is going to operate better? Yeah, we just said that. I absolutely believe that. I believed that before this season the defense is playing at a really solid level. That's going sort of unreported. And if they're charged up by this move, uh, the chances that this team makes the playoffs and makes a little noise, yeah, that, that meter's crept up for sure. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think that this has really added a level of excitement and maybe taken away some of the nervousness that I've been feeling every single Sunday morning when I wake up. And so it might just be turning a lot more towards uh, excitement rather than like, I don't know, this high level of anxiety that I'm feeling every Sunday morning. (laughs) You're going to feel anxiety every uh, Sunday, JB. For for the rest of my life. Pretty much. But we have to remember that as well as Foles played, he is a hot and cold player. Sure. He always has been. He's like that streak shooter in basketball that can come out and rip off 25 in a night and then go out and go 3 for 13 the next night. There will be lulls. If he plays, you know, sort of, if he stays healthy and plays sort of wire to wire for the rest of the season from this point on, there are going to be a couple games he throws up air balls. It's going to happen. It happens to most quarterbacks, but he is a streaky thrower. We saw him on a hot streak on Sunday, and we're going to see that again. We're going to see heroics. We're going to see big balls down the field that that his receivers go up and pluck. We're going to see drama, but don't forget, Bears fans, this is not a silver bullet. There are going to be troughs. He has them. He had them in Philadelphia. He certainly had them in Jacksonville um, even before he got hurt. So 
you know, just buckle up. It's not uh, it's not going to be a smooth ride for the rest of the season. And we should mention Foles is certainly not a guy that has been, you know, uh, incredibly healthy throughout his career. He has had some missed games. So this may not be the last time that we have Mitch Trubisky under center for a start this year. I get that. I do think that this is like absolutely showing that this is the end of the road here for Mitchell Trubisky, though, in terms of he's not going to be on this roster at the end of this year. And I just want to say that, you know, I think that me in particular for some reason lately and in you and Robert for sure, probably a little bit more well-deserved than others, are kind of getting this target on your back of like Trubisky haters. And I certainly don't think that I was ever a Trubisky hater. Uh, I was just someone who was trying to listen to what the organization is telling us. And I think what they told us in the offseason was that they didn't believe in Mitchell Trubisky as the future of this franchise. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They went out and they got Nick Foles. We know they made an offer to Teddy Bridgewater. We heard a rumor that they made an offer to Tom Brady. You know, I'm sure that they made some inquiries into Andy Dalton. You don't do that if you if you believe he's the guy. And so this, I think the writing's been on the wall for a long time. I know that's hard to accept for some people. I get it. I, I get that there was a lot of emotional investment in this guy. And I also get that, you know, he was a well-liked guy. He tried really hard. He worked hard. His teammates liked him. But, you know, at some point, it has to be more about the results on the field and not about uh, some of those other things that, that happen in the locker room. And being a good guy, just, you know, it's not enough. And so, I, you know, no hate against Mitchell Trubisky. Certainly will cheer for him as he, you know, continues this year if he has to play for the Bears, of course. But as he goes on and the rest of his career, you know, catches on somewhere as a backup, try to rebuild you know, going to root for him. I hope he does well. Um, but it's just not it's not working out here in Chicago. Yeah, and I'll come at that from a different angle that has a little bit less to do with the emotional investment and, and you know, look more at that sort of meritocracy piece, which is I watch pretty much every game that goes on every Sunday. And as you get very used to, you know, I watch the Bears game in real time on Sunday when it's on. And then Sunday night I start, you know, as soon as the condensed game replays are up, I start looking at those. I watch the highlights. And then throughout Monday, I'm watching the rest of the games that I didn't get in on Sunday night. And it's just a stark difference moving from a Mitchell Trubisky, you know, quarterbacked team to almost any other team in the league. And yes, there are examples that are sort of on his level, not too many below his level, but even average quarterbacking, um, you know, whether you want to call it about statistically or you want to call it about wins or just the eye test, right? Almost everything in the league is run more smoothly, right? Even quarterbacks that catch a lot of flack, the Kirk Cousins of the world, right? Kirk Cousins is clearly outplaying Mitchell Trubisky. If you switch on a Vikings game from this year and you switch out, you know, a Bears game, it's not even close. Some of the throws Kirk Cousins makes, really, really good. And he has his down games, but his lows are not anywhere near as low or as often as Mitchell Trubisky. And that goes pretty much the whole league you could talk about Gardner Minshew you could talk about you know yeah there are guys like Dwayne Haskins who are still trying to you know carve out their niche and and come into their own but generally if you switch from a Bears game to almost any other game one of the two quarterbacks for sure is going to be making you go oh man I wish we had that right I wish we had that level of consistency right. or polish or or those throws on a regular basis or or that read on a regular basis and we're in year three folks we're not getting it and that is what it is. Yeah, okay, year four. It feels like year three. I don't count the Dowell Loggins, John Fox year. I just don't. Fair. That's that's just so cruel um, to any young quarterback. And we've seen that with you know them ruining Tannehill in Miami and then him going to Tennessee and everybody going, wow, he's, he's a pretty good quarterback. And Sam Darnold, like I watched the first half of the Colts game because it was Colts-Jets last week and got the Colts next week. And I was like, yeah. And I was really surprised, uh, you know, Gase, I think, is terrible. And Darnold played pretty well for the first uh, quarter, quarter and a half. And I thought, man, there's some talent there. Like, he made some he made some plays out of nothing that were just him. And I thought, poor guy, right? He's got Adam oh. Gase and Dow Loggins. Like, what a rough start for a quarterback. <laughs> All right, well, let's move beyond the quarterbacks. I know we spent a lot of time there, but it obviously felt pretty seismic of uh, what happened on Sunday and 
wanted to spend a little time there because you know we're going to be looking at number nine now and and so that that's going to be a big thing going forward but a couple of other things i just wanted to mention that i think we shouldn't lose sight of you already talked about alan robinson's big day obviously should not lose sight of that and i think he's just going to be man he's going to be so happy here um he's going to put up some big numbers but you know, I'd, I hate to I hate to be the guy that talks about officiating because I think that a lot of times that's just kind of whiny and like, uh, but man, it really seemed like everything went against the Bears in that game. Just like at one point they had like eight penalties called against the Bears and one against the Falcons and it seemed like everything was just going against them. All the uh, reviews were going against them. And I, I, I mentioned it more because... Matt Nagy is able to keep this team headed in the right direction. He's able to keep them together. And he, they were never, you know, he never let on that they were out of it. And they were able to make that comeback. And sometimes things go against you. It's a weird shaped ball. It hits the ground in a weird way. And so I think it's just a really good testament to Matt Nagy when, you know, this was a game that by all accounts should not have been in the win column for the bears, but they pulled it out and they stuck together. And I think that's why we t- we've talked about it so many times, but that's why I think Matt Nagy's got the leadership thing down, man. Like he's got this, these guys fighting for each other, fighting together every single week and they are not getting blown out of games or, you know, they're not losing faith in, in, in each other. And so I think that's just one really important aspect to talk about. We don't even need to spend any more time there. I think the pass rush came alive in the second half kind of what we talked about i felt like the defense fed off of nick Foles getting into the game i do think that that can be contagious and then i just want to bask in the glow of a healthy hakeem hicks and then (laughs) khalil Mack being the absolute game wreckers that they are because they were dominant on sunday yeah, Hicks had, I think, one of the top three games for an interior defensive lineman in the NFL on Sunday. There are a couple other guys that really wreck things. Aaron Donald every week. Um, Jeffrey Simmons, strangely enough, was one of the other guys, not a name that most that pops to the top of most radars. But if you're really interested in interior defensive line play, go back and watch Jeffrey Simmons on Sunday. But Akeem Hicks was right there with him, and... You watch him just collapse the pocket on interior pressure and really toy with the guard in front of him. There was a couple of times. There's actually a play that uh, got whistled dead for a penalty right after the snap, so they all stood up and started going. Hicks does a double, <laughs> double-handed shove punch into this guy's chest, knocks him back about three yards, and just kind of wags his finger at him. He's like, "Yeah, if that was a real play, pal." <laughs> I would have thrown you back into Matt Ryan's legs. And, you know, they had a couple words after it, but everybody knows what was going on there. He was beating him up really good. So uh, certainly it's worth talking about. The line has looked really good. Um, there's an interesting thing. You talked about officiating, and, and it certainly felt like that. It didn't just feel like that. At one point, you're right. It was six penalties for the Bears and 45 yards and one penalty for the Falcons and I think 10 yards. And it just felt like all the flags were dropping on Chicago. I read a really interesting piece from, uh, I think it's Kevin Seifert for ESPN uh, this morning. And he was talking about the fact that every year there's a sort of emphasis or calls to highlight in the NFL. And this year it is not calling offensive holding because it makes the games go faster and obviously the scoring is going to be a lot higher. And, you know, that seems to make a lot of sense as a Chicago fan, because if you go back and watch, if you just isolate Khalil Mack and you watch him for three weeks, he yep. gets reverse horse collared. He gets dragged down by the neck. He gets grabbed by two guys on either side and pulled. I mean, it's, it is, if you're calling it by rule, there's no way he gets absolutely abused every Sunday and he still has a very impactful game in terms of pressure moving the pocket setting the edge on the run he's playing at an extremely high level and he's getting held turns out that the calls for offensive holding are at an all-time low a historic low it's like 19 percent down from last year which is a huge jump statistically but the thought is that the casual fan that watches the ball and not the lines 
are going to be less likely to get fired up about offensive holding than they are about something down the field like defensive pass interference. And the numbers bear it out league-wide. We're not talking about Chicago here. We're talking about all 32 teams. The, the times for the games are down. They are ending more quickly. And the percent of the flags that are offensive holding are way down. And I thought, well, that explains a couple of things. It was a really smart piece. If you haven't checked it out, uh, go hit up ESPN and check it out because it does speak to a league trend that is, for those of... I would say for 80% of the fans that watch the ball, it's a bit invisible. But for those of us that actually go back and say who won in the trenches, it's not at all invisible. Like some of the stuff that folks are getting away with is redonkulous. Uh, And not good for the Bears. That's not a good rule change when your strength is your pass rush. And you're allowing the opponent to, you know, hold at will. Uh, mug mug is the word you're looking for yeah well it's already rough when you know the bears play green bay Uh, i can't imagine what they're going to be able to get away with in that game so yeah that's it's unfortunate and it's still a lot of fun to watch them you shouldn't be watching the ball when it's snapped you should be watching line play that's really how um well, that's how I watch the game, so I would say that's the right way to watch the game. <laughs> you need once, to do what I need to do, kids. Once the quarterback gets rid of the ball, then you can look, you know, downfield. But you know, the quarterback yeah. is just—what's the point of watching the quarterback in the pocket? That I don't get that. But somebody uh, threw a tweet up. Somebody threw a tweet up in the middle of that penalty storm against the Falcons that said, "When the Bears play the Packers, the defensive penalty yards is going to be negative 300." It's about right. Yeah. Well, do you want to close the books on this one? You got any other observations you wanted to sneak in here? Uh, not really. Uh, there was a lot of hype around Darnell Mooney. He had two of those uh, seven, you know, you can call them drops or whatever, incompletions off the hands. Both of them were pretty good throws. One was about 21 yards. One was about 15 yards. So uh, don't sleep on Darnell Mooney. He's still doing the thing. He's still getting open. He still blocks. Uh, we're going to see that Darnell Mooney breakout game, especially with Nick Foles at the helm. If people start doubling Allen Robinson and Mooney can get loose, we're going to see that game this year. So uh, don't don't lose faith. Just keep watching. Allen Robinson, <laughs> when I asked him about Darnell Mooney, uh, he said that he's a guy that just does not make mental errors. And so that's why he is able to climb up the depth chart as fast as he did because he knew the playbook well and he does not make mental errors when he's on the field and just has a natural instinct for the game. And so it was really exciting to hear about Darnell Mooney. If those of you that listen to my history podcast with my best friend, Matt Winter, uh, he is obsessed with Darnell Mooney. So um, if you are <laughs> on the Darnell Mooney train, you have good company. So we were going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we are going to talk about the Colts. All right, EJ, let's let's get into the Colts. So it's week four. We got the Colts at home. Colts are two and one, led by longtime Chargers trigger man Phillip Rivers. They lost a surprising one against the Jags in week one. You know, Gardner Menchu came out and played kind of a perfect game in week one, but they they really dominated the Vikings as that score was twenty eight to eleven. Wasn't necessarily close. I skipped the Jets game because I saw the score of 36-7. to I thought, I'm not going to learn anything about them going against the terrible Jets team. You watched the Jets game. I watched the Vikings game. So maybe we can talk about some of that. But as I was thinking about the Bears and the Colts, I think that there's a lot of really interesting connections. And, I, and I've got a five-questions piece that's going to be coming out on Thursday um, with, a, with a writer with the Colts uh, site, uh, on SB Nation's Colts site. And I basically phrased my questions around kind of this shared history, but, uh, you know, Ballard was the general manager in the lead position when, when the Bears went out to interview general managers last time, and Ryan Pace kind of came in out of nowhere and took the job away from, uh, from Chris Ballard. Ballard waits a couple more years, and then he gets his chance in Indianapolis. So he's a GM there. Nagy, when he was out uh, as a coaching candidate, he the rumor is that the Colts were interested in, in Nagy. He instead chooses to come to Chicago instead. Indianapolis goes down the Josh McDaniels route. They get left at the altar. They end up with Frank Reich. 
uh, in the draft with Roquan. All of the reports were that the Colts were really interested in Roquan. They wanted inside linebacker. They were going to draft Roquan. There's a lot of reports about the Bears getting Quentin Nelson. Instead, kind of the last minute, Ballard ends up choosing Nelson, and the Bears get Roquan. And then in the next round, the Colts draft uh, Leonard, the inside linebacker, ends up uh, winning Rookie of the Year. And the Bears draft James Daniels. And so, you know, obviously it's the exact same two positions, just flipped. And so that's I think that's an interesting shared history that we have with them. And then this last offseason, both teams went out into the veteran quarterback market. And the Colts landed Phillip Rivers. He worked with Frank Reich in, uh, in, in San Diego. And the Bears obviously went out and got Nick Foles. And so you've got some veteran quarterbacks that are going to play each other so my first question to you ej because you also like to follow the team building aspect of football do you like the way that chris ballard has been chris ballard has built this squad yeah chris ballard's doing a bang up job in indianapolis and uh he a lot of times we talk about a tough act to follow he did not have a tough act to follow (laughs) ryan grigson um uh, there's a lot of talk about this on Twitter today because of Joe Burrow and how much he's getting beat up because of the offensive line in Cincinnati. And somebody said, this is another Andrew Luck. Luck, right? This is another Andrew Luck. And I said, God, I hope not, because that is one of the saddest and most negligent periods of you know team building, if you want to talk about it in NFL history. And there have been a lot of those, but Andrew Luck, a seminal talent, could have been as good as any quarterback in a very long time, and I'm right. talking about Peyton, Brady, Breeze, you name it. Andrew Luck could have easily been on that on that strata, and instead he gets the snot pounded out of him because Ryan Grigson is just negligent and will not put a line in front of him. So I really hope that Cincinnati has the good sense to learn from that because Burrow looks like the real deal, and he needs some linemen. His line is equally atrocious to those early Colts lines, so... Yeah, but other other than that, now Ballard's done a tremendous job. If you look at the depth on both sides of the ball and some of the picks later on down, you talk about Darius Leonard. Like, Darius Leonard was a good linebacker. He's been tremendous and is playing very, very well uh, this year for the Colts as well. You talk about balance uh, in the wide receivers. You talk about digging down for guys like Mo Alley-Cox, who is the weapon they have at tight end, who – you know, most other teams went, well, he's not this or not that. And Ballard went, I think we could use that guy. He's massive. And, you know, if we get him the ball in the middle, he can do some damage. You know, last week he had 111 yards on five catches. So Also a great name. Mo Alley Cox. Mo Alley Cox. Yeah, no. Foster Moreau is the best tight end name in the game. Then Mo Alley Cox. <laughs> Mo Alley Cox is number two. Okay. I'll take that. But generally, and he's done a good job in free agency as well. Um we saw, you know, part of that Jets game not being as lopsided as it looked was uh, the Colts ended up with 16 defensive points. They ended up with two pick sixes and a safety. Um, but, you know, one of one of the corners, two picks was was not a touchdown, ended up uh, ended up with two picks. That's a free agent acquisition by Ballard. Right. So he's done a nice job balancing the roster building. The Philip Rivers thing is interesting. I understand why he did it. Uh, Philip has some limitations at this point in his career, both mental and physical. He is struggling to get the ball down the field more than about 15 yards, and he doesn't seem to have shaken his tendency to chuck up a few balls. And the Bears are in a good position to feast on that because not only those throws in general, but the way they play defense. I'm thinking specifically of Fuller and Jackson. They lay off and they come, they drive forward on those balls. And the way that Phillip is throwing those balls and the velocity that is not on them, he still throws with okay velocity. Uh, but if he throws more than about, I would say about 15 yards, a ball's taken a half a tick to get there. And the way that Jackson and Fuller break forward on the ball, I would expect to see some big plays uh, because Phillip Rivers will throw you a couple. He's like Brett Favre late in his career, right? The Bears defenders used to say, Favre's going to throw us a couple. We just have to catch him. Phillip yep. Rivers will throw you a couple, and the Bears are primed to get those. Well, you're already sneaking into one of my keys of the game, so we can jump in into that if you want. Um, let's just jump into that one. I think that 
if you give Nick Foles a positive game script, you're going to make Rivers play from behind, which means that he's going to have to play some hero ball, which he just physically isn't there, but mentally he wants to be there. And so what that's going to translate to is that he is going to throw a couple at the defense. And so when he does take advantage of it, take the ball away and hopefully score, let's get that, let's get that defensive uh, touchdowns going. So that's my first key of the game. Yeah, you're not going to fool Philip Rivers. He in 17 years, he has seen everything that this league has to offer. So, in terms of scheming some things, the Indianapolis offensive line is highly vaunted. They look really good in pass coverage. They their pass sets are quite good and Philip Rivers is quite good at reading what they're doing already and maneuvering himself such as he can he's not a terribly mobile quarterback anymore and he is being a little bit lazy uh he's trying to catch up on the physical stuff his uh you know his play action fakes they're not super sharp he's not finishing them he's kind of holding the ball out there and pulling it back and looking to throw it those are things that defenders are going to be able to key off of and same thing he is not able to scramble the way he used to even just with in-pocket movement and so he's good and he's wily but if you put real physical pressure on him the way Akeem Hicks can like you have to move he's he's gonna make half of those he's not gonna make all of them anymore so if the Bears can get that pressure good for them the Colts line looks better in straight up pass blocking than it does in run blocking okay so that's interesting because what I saw was that their run blocking looked pretty good. And so my second key was get your run fits ready because this team wants to run the ball. They drafted Jonathan Taylor, who is an excellent running back, young runner out of Wisconsin. He looks really good. Obviously, I know that that's a guy that you liked when he was coming out and, and you were talking about him for this draft. And then, of course, you've got the interior offensive line led by Quentin Nelson. They've got a good center. So they've got some guys interior-wise that I think worry me a little bit, particularly with the absence of Eddie Goldman and that nose tackle spot not necessarily taken care of yet. I was really hoping we'd see Snacks Harrison. Don't want to be a broken, broken record about that. And then those inside linebackers that I think are struggling as a result of not having that big body up in front in, in Goldman. And so I, I'm a little worried about interior runs with, with Taylor and that that really talented interior offensive line going up against what looks like it might be a weakness of the Bears defense. No, you're absolutely right to get your run fits in order. I made the exact same note watching the Jets game. Now, the Jets don't have the best defensive line. They do have Quinn and Williams, who's playing a little bit better. But they got surprising penetration on the run. I was really surprised because, again, the Colts line has that reputation with Kelly at center, Quentin Nelson. That's a very talented line, Anthony Costanzo. Like, they have some really talented offensive linemen. If you don't, the reason I would say get your run fits in order has more to do with their stable of backs. Sure. Taylor is one, but Naheem Hines is so quick to the hole that if you don't have your interior run fits, and the Bears struggled with that a little bit, a lot, I would say, in week one, a little bit in week two, alternately in week three, Danny Trevathan did play better against the Falcons. But they are going to have to plug those holes. I think they can match them physically, but if they don't, a guy like Hines specifically is going to squirt through for the interior runs. The ones I'm really worried about are the exterior edges. And Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson are both physical cornerbacks. They're going to be able to crash the edges. But if you get that sort of outside zone look and you don't set an edge, a guy like Taylor or Hines or their third running back – all those guys can turn those into yards. So in the sort of middle, you've got Buster Screen, who's very good at coming in and and sort of crashing the run. You are going to have to set that middle. I'm a little worried, too. There's no post to pin that around. Golden's not there. Uh, Jonathan's out. Like, Snacks hasn't materialized. They've been playing Bilal Powell or Bilal Nichols. Sorry. Wow, Paul Nichols. Would, would I know, yeah, totally that would be a, that would be a mismatch. <laughs> Nichols has looked a little mismatched, but not that sure. mismatch. No, he sure. look he's he's stiffened a little bit, but they're playing him at nose, which is not his typical position. And they are gonna have to they are gonna have to stiffen up and be in their lanes because the Colts backs are fast 
and they can take advantage of a crack and get through there. I feel better about it watching the Jets game. Maybe that's bad because uh, I was like, oh, man, the, the Bears defensive line is in big trouble. That offensive line is a juggernaut. Uh, they have some cracks, but they are going to have to be very sound in their run fits. Well, I, I'm i not worried about when they run to Khalil Mack's side. Nope. Because Khalil <laughs> Mack is actually rated as one of the best edge defenders against the run so through three games. So he is he is killing it, not only rushing the passer, but also he is absolutely taking care of the run as well. So they are probably going to run opposite of Khalil Mack and hope that he doesn't chase the play down from behind, which I wouldn't count on because he is playing like his hair's on fire, and I love it. I love every second of it. Last key that I had, I this is just more general. I I don't think Matt Nagy needs to hear this. He writes, you know, the the BU on the play calling sheets and all that kind of stuff. But you got your guy in. Let Foles do his thing. It's his team now. Give him the space to make plays. Listen to him. Call the plays that he's interested in in, in trying to run. And let him build some confidence going forward. This is, you know, the first start of a new era. And let's see what these guys can do against a pretty decent team. I think the Colts are probably in a good position to compete for their division title. I think they're definitely a playoff team. So this is a really good challenge for the Bears. And it's a good challenge for Nick Foles. This isn't a a, a lockdown defense or anything like that. But this is a really good challenge for Nick Foles to see what he can do in this offense with these weapons, let them go make plays. Yeah, I fully agree. And if Matt Nagy's seeing the same thing I am, which I'm not going to guarantee is happening, they need to attack the alleys, right? The middle run is going to be difficult. They went out and got to Forrest Buckner. The offensive line has been popping holes open all year. I think it's going to get tougher. James Daniels has been smacking people. If you're paying attention, he's been tracking people down and thrashing them. They're going to have a long day uh, trying to establish the middle run against Indianapolis, but there's that alley, right? It's the alley where the slot receiver would line up. If you're trying to think about the area I'm talking about, and it can be attacked against the Colts defense, both with the run and with the pass. The pass that gets the Colts defense most often, they love to play zone, is that middle deep crosser. And Allen Robinson, if you slide him inside with motion, you can get middle deep crossers and foals can hit them. And that is a pass the Colts do not defend well. So don't go straight for the middle, right? Go up the alley, run people into the slot, move Robinson inside. I mean, look, Xavier uh, Rhodes. seam can work there? Uh, tight end can. I, I would love to see some stack. I was mm-hmm. calling for stack in the game against the Falcons, and the Falcons ran it against the Bears. And I was like, that's what the Bears need to do. They need to run <laughs> stack. Anyways, uh, Xavier Rhodes had a great game last last week. He had a pick six. He had another interception. Um, but I don't think Xavier Rhodes is going to really enjoy going against Allen Robinson because I'd imagine that's the matchup we're going to see is Rhodes pretty much slave to Allen Robinson. I think Allen Robinson can still win some of those matchups one-on-one, but pushing that outside, it's like why throw at their best defender if you can go for softer areas? So I'd like to see some Jimmy Graham seems. Nick Foles seemed to key on Jimmy Graham as a, I don't know, maybe fellow veteran. Well, Foles loves tight ends. That's that's the scouting report on Foles is he loves tight ends. And he threw to Graham a lot. So I would right. like to see Graham... Uh, sliding out, taking a couple of steps and playing that true move tight end and and attacking the slot because if you do it on the side opposite Darius Leonard, you can make some money on that. And again, that's sort of eh, in between guard tackle gap if you're running on a sort of slant or the sort of, you know, outside zone on short, right? Make the early cut up the numbers. Those are the places where Indianapolis is going to give you things. And again, down the seam, if you can motion Darnell Mooney almost to the tight end and run him straight up the seam, Malik Hooker's out for the season. He's their deep tracking guy, right? If you can get a step one-on-one versus a safety, you're going to have a matchup that's going to be favorable to the Bears. So there is that sort of area that's a a red area in the Colts defense. And I would like to see them attack it both with the run and the pass. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because, because, uh, hooker is kind of their, 
Eddie Jackson, you know, hopefully that's what they wanted out of him, and he's not there, so trying to beat them over the top. But, yeah, the thing about Foles, and this is just a general note, but, you know, people were throwing a lot of shade at Foles because he wasn't that successful in Jacksonville. And it's like, yeah, but he was – that was a terrible place for him to go. They weren't running the right system for him, and they had zero tight ends <laughs> that were worth <laughs> anything down in Jacksonville. Not disparaging whoever's the Jacksonville uh, tight ends in 2019, but that was just a terrible fit. That never made I'm- sense to me. I'm not I'm ex- trying to defend, uh, you know, it, Nick Foles' uh, failure or whatever it was in Jacksonville, but, like, it never made sense from a football standpoint. Yeah, I am hoping that you're correct because I, I know you're correct about Foles' love for tight ends, and we saw that in the quarter and a half of work he did. He threw to Jimmy Graham, like, I wouldn't say forced or locked, but primarily he was aiming for Graham. And I would love to see a little bit, just a just a crack in the door sort of Cole Komet emergence because we haven't had that yet. Yeah. He's got and two I targets would, so far. Right. And I would love to see just a few more of those in double tight end sets. I would love to see that because Foles does enjoy those routes. He throws them very well. So, you know, let's let's just hope that happens because that would be that would be a cool way to sort of kick off the Cole Komet era. It absolutely you've got two rookies that have already made their presence known. Be nice to get Cole Komet going. I think that's, again, tight ends, rookies, you know, you don't see it very often, but it'd be nice to see if you can get him, you know, a few targets a game and see what he can do with them just because he does have talent and it'd be nice to get something out of him in his rookie season. So uh, I think that's it for me. Those are kind of my three keys to the game. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Those are the big ones, mostly that probably – Indianapolis's running back room is highly underrated. Jonathan Taylor, I would say, is probably the second back. Naheem Hines is a real talent, and he is playing at a level that is at or above the sort of best small running back you can think of that is great in the pass game and pretty darn good in the run game as well. I mean, you could insert a lot of names there, but Naheem Hines is not a name that a lot of people bring up he also contributes for them in special teams he's a dangerous return guy so the fact that they sort of have a three-headed monster running back and can rotate through and any one of those guys can rip off a play behind that offensive line means you're gonna have to be mentally tough with your fits all game and we could see some big plays if they don't not particularly scared of their wide receivers in the way that I used to be, mostly because Philip Rivers can't get them the ball anymore deep down the field. He's not going to be throwing 40-yard rainbows anymore. And Mo Alley Cox, man, they're going to have to figure out what to do with him. They might end up putting Fuller or Jalen Johnson on him because he is a problem. He is a mm-hmm. big dude. And if he gets the ball in his hands, you've got to go low because he's just such a he's just such a load once he has the ball in his hands. I'll see if they use Eddie Jackson to drop down on him. Uh, let's circle back to these drinks. Um, I I made this pretty strong because I think I've only <laughs> drank half of it, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling about as good as I felt after that uh, Falcons game, after the comeback win. So I think I absolutely did what I wanted to do and recreate the feeling by drinking a peach bourbon sweet tea. Uh, for Paris over beers on the comeback cocktail, so um, that's uh, that's that's one that you don't need more than one of. I'll just put it that way. I would hope not, because you're only a half of one. Um, this stuff is amazing. The Stiganos from uh, Booth Bay Craft Brewery. It is aged six months in Kentucky bourbon barrels. Um, it has all of that character and it is a really nice balance it has obviously a high abv a very sort of cutting stout character but the warmth of those bourbon barrels and the sugar of it being a stout and a good dark beer is well balanced it comes right in to kind of rescue you right as you're thinking oh this is going to be oh this is going to be a lot almost that barley wine level alcohol and that sort of sugar comes in at the end to really balance it out. And it is uh, it is an experience. It is good stuff. Again, I wouldn't go for two of them just because they are so deep and rich and complex. And I can't think that I might chew through two of them, especially not 16 ounces. But uh, it, is, it is a lovely beer. 
and it is well made. It is worth the wait if you can find it. Uh, highly recommend it. Well, sounds good. I think we did absolutely everything that we uh, set out to accomplish on this episode. And so why don't you get us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. So be sure to listen to all the Windy City Gridiron podcasts. We have a new one, The Rule of Three. Check that out as well. Uh, You can find Jeff at Gridironborn on Twitter. You can follow me at the draftsman FB, as in football, or on my other podcast, the Bootleg Football Podcast with Brett Coleman. Uh, and all of our writing will show up on Windy City Gridiron. Jeff does a lot more of that than I do with odds. He's doing pretty well picking games this year, I gotta say. Been following the progress there, Mr. Burke. It's very impressive. <laughs> and until then, uh, we've got the Colts coming on Sunday. Got a couple of games coming up in a few days here. So tune in, stay tight. Watch the Nick Foles experience and bear down. <laughs>